This morning, living hope is what we want to talk about. And so 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to verse 3. Um, I'll read those verses in a few uh, moments here. Um, and then we'll, we'll discuss a little bit and talk of what does it look like for people of hope to live that out? What are some characteristics? And we'll, I think we'll see John is very helpful to us there uh, in uh, 1 John. To maybe set some background for that. So I'm, I'm looking at things that are going on in our day, there's a lot of despair in the world. And you think about it now, in my lifetime, the last year and a half, there has been more major trauma happen in America than my whole life. And Ike was president when I was born to give you an idea how old I am. So many of you can relate to that. <laughs> um, and so much has changed and the trauma that's, in, that's uh, transpiring right now. And so think about it, in the last, we'll just say year and a half, COVID-19, which we're coming out of that, it's not done, but things are opening up a little bit, people are starting to relax. But boy, that's been a challenge. And one of the single greatest challenges for pastors of churches, a lot of men leaving ministry, the stress of this last year is just killing them. It's just very, very difficult. COVID-19, tremendous challenge. Think of the election cycle we just went through for president. I've never in my lifetime, there's been, you know, Americans in the debate often call each other names and all the rest, it happens out there in the political world, but nothing like what we saw, in, in my opinion, in this last election cycle. Incredible. The insurrection at the federal capitol never in the history of our country have Americans ever assaulted their own capital, and yet we did. And then uh, the things that we've even seen in Lansing and, and uh, some of the uh, protests and things there at a degree that we've not seen before, a lot of unrest and a lot of despair and a total lack of hope other than in some sort of a man-centered solution, and it enters the church. And often we find people even in the church who want to blame the church for society's ills and problems, and if the church would have done this, that wouldn't have happened, and all kinds of things. And so the unrest even enters the church. And then in the midst of all of this is many of the cultural changes. So if we think of transgender issues and the LGBTQ plus thing, all that's going on there, the church in America is being pushed out, not just, uh, you know, we don't want to hear what you have to say, but shut up, because what you have to say is hate, hate speech. That's what's going on in America. And so uh, uh, an article I came across, I just wanted to read a few ver uh, words from this, just to maybe help us frame this a little bit, uh, because Christians even find themselves despairing. And yet we have the ultimate hope as we just sung. And I love that song and I'm thankful for it. It fits so good. I'm thankful for Pastor John and his picking of that. Um, so here's, uh, my author is Carl Truman. He's a Reformed theologian. But first things, it's an online journal article that he wrote. I'll just read an excerpt here. The world's way of thinking about sex and identity is wrong. And there's no polite way for the church to say that because her vocabulary for doing so has been deemed hate speech by the world to whom she witnesses. The moral register of today's cultural climate considers it immoral, indeed an act of violence, 
to say gay marriage is not marriage or you are not born in the wrong body. These statements are deemed hateful precisely because they demand that someone set aside the sovereignty of his own desires or feelings in light of an external authority. It's a phenomenon that's very interesting of how people have turned in on themselves and find their values and their center in themselves and everything is based on how I feel and if what you offends, say offends me, that is speech violence. That's what Dr. Truman's talking about here. I want to jump down now to the end of his article because it's what fits uh, what we want to talk about today. The church's exile from mainstream culture is going to be hard. But the Bible makes it clear that she wins in the end. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. That is the source of our hope at this time. The gates of hell will not prevail against her. Matthew 16, you remember Jesus with his men. Who do people say I am? Well, maybe one of the prophets, John the Baptist, Elijah. Who do you say I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you, you are Peter, Petros, a piece of stone. On this rock, this Petra, this boulder, the declaration that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, on that foundation I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, we need to remember... We're talking about hope. The battle is done. It's already won. We're, we live our life on a timeline. I, I can't tell you what's going to happen in two seconds from now, let alone tomorrow, next week, whatever, in America or anywhere else in the world. But I know the God who ordains the future. And you go to Revelation chapter 21, and he says, now the dwelling of God is with men. It's done. Because God said it. Now, it's spoken as if it's already happened. Fact is, it's yet to happen in our experience. But when God speaks, it's absolute, it's final, and it's done. So we want to learn how to be people of hope. We've sung about hope. Christ is the center of our hope. And uh, the one other thing that I want to make absolutely clear that, uh, or sure that we're clear on, and that's what hope is, the Christian hope. Centered on Christ. But Christian hope is not wishful thinking. So uh, we left this morning to drive down here to be with you folks today from Grand Rapids. So we left early enough. I wanted to be on time. And my hope was that we would be early, get acclimated, meet people, and be here for the service. And by God's good grace, we were. And so what a blessing. That is called wishful thinking. I hope, I wish this will happen, but all things being equal, maybe the Lord in his providence had an auto accident or the car failing, or maybe I hit a deer. I can't tell you. But the fact is, I don't know until it is done. And I get here and say, praise God. I believed he wanted me here. I made it. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about the hope in Christ, it's an assured hope, it's absolute, and it's done. And that's the difference. And we need to be clear on that, what the Christian hope is. It's not wishful thinking. So with that background, let's read the passage, and then I'll pray, and we'll see what maybe the Lord has for us today. Let me read, starting in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, 
Abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the word of God. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather as a congregation like this and we can sing wonderful uh, worship songs that direct our hearts up to you, the God who is and who has spoken, and you've left records of it in your written word so that we can know you. And we treasure that and we're thankful for it. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for a church family that uh, extols the virtues of the living God and wants to hear you speak. And the privilege of being here, Lord, I just thank you that, for that today. And so, Lord, we ask you now that you would speak through your word today. Encourage our hearts. Lord, we, we want to be people of hope. Uh, we believe that you're our ultimate hope. But, Lord, sometimes life is just hard and we need help. And so direct our thoughts, I pray today, and help us to see some of the characteristics of people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, back there at verse 28, I want to look at, I have five column features or characteristics of hope that I think I can draw out of this passage here and uh, uh, would would, uh, like for us to see these. And so starting there in verse 28, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Abide, the idea of continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand. You get the idea. Stick around. Focus on Christ. John says, abide in him. It's not just think about him once in a while, but that's where you live. We have an address, a residence, and if you want to get a hold of me, you can send mail to that address. That's where I reside. Here is where I abide. No matter where I am in this world, I can be in Christ. And so I abide in him. Here's here's another way that uh, Jesus put it in John chapter 15, uh, verse 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do I abide? People of hope abide. How do I abide? I keep his commandments. I do what he says. We're not talking about some law-keeping, a, a list of rules, but we are talking about living in a way that puts all the honor and all the glory on Christ because he's the one that I want to abide in. He did give us in John 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. So there's one. It's not an option. It's an imperative. Do it. Love one another. Figure it out. People who abide or people who live with hope abide in Christ. I love this. John calls us little children. This is John 
And he wrote this. He's an old man now. He was maybe, I think, a teenager when Jesus walked the earth, when he spent his three and a half years or so with him. Now, this is probably A.D. 90 or after. John's over 80 years old now. It's been 60 years since Jesus left the earth. All the apostles are dead, except for him. They've been brutally martyred and killed. John's been tortured. He's been exiled. He knows what it is to suffer for Christ. And he wants us to know him. And he says, little children, hear me. Abide in him. It's your only hope. Abide. People of hope, abide in Christ. Let's look at verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness have been born of him have been born of him. If you know that he is righteous, Christ the righteous one. Uh, people who live with hope practice righteousness as a habit. It's just what we do because our Lord is righteous. Righteousness is a habit we pursue. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, Paul. Here's a uh, Here's a way that, uh, to help us clarify a little bit here. Uh, this is Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. For his sake, this is in the uh, arena of suffering. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He's talking about an imputed righteousness, not my righteousness. I don't bring anything. God is not impressed with my rule keeping. But it's the righteousness of Christ, and it's given to me, imputed to me at that moment of salvation. And literally, the theologians will refer to this as an alien righteousness, a righteousness from outside that God brings in and gives to me. It's not mine, and I'm declared righteous on the basis of Christ. And in light of the righteousness that I've beginning, that I've been given, he says that if you know that he is righteous, and he is, then be sure that everyone who practices righteous, one way you can be assured of your salvation is the fact that and I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to live a life that pleases him and that models him to a watching world. I'm not talking about rules. We're simply saying that he's holy and I want to be holy. People who live with hope make righteousness a habit. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. See what kind of love the Father has given us. John, this old man who's been uh, abused and whose probably body is broken, and he's blown away because he knows Jesus. It's as if the older you get in the faith that day by day by day, the more wonder that I can't believe that God would save a wretch like me. And he's blown away with the wonder 
of his salvation. See, people of hope never stop being amazed and expressing wonder that God's love led to salvation. Why in the world does he love me? And in light of that, people of hope, because of the wonder of salvation, I can't believe what God has done in my life. And because of that, we learn humility. And we learn that I'm not all that much. And really, uh, in any arena, that, that other people are more important than me. That's how Jesus lived. He was God. His will sustained the life of the people he's talking to. And yet he puts them first and he served them and he washed their feet even though the one was going to have them killed. That's our model. And yet I live in America and I'm a citizen. I have rights. And I'm thankful for it. Don't take me wrong. I'm thankful for a system of laws where I have rights to trial by jury and multiple other things that we take for granted. Praise God for our rights as citizen. Paul, on a couple of occasions, at least in Acts, used his rights as a Roman citizen. So it's not wrong. The problem becomes when I want to bring my rights into the church. As far as I can discern, and this is something that I do want to study more. But as far as I can discern, I have one right. One right in the body of Christ. And here it is in John chapter 1, verse 12. In verse 11, uh, though Jesus came to his own, and the people who were his own did not receive him. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the right I have, and it's a given right. It's not a right that I earn. It's not a right I deserve. God is not impressed. I'm not uh, so much that he says, I got to save that one. It's on his divine choice that he puts his love upon me, declares me righteousness because, or righteous because of Christ's righteousness, justifies me. And I get the right the ability or the privilege or the jurisdiction to be called a child of God and everything else in life pales in comparison to that. I'm a child of the God of the universe. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 8. That's why Justin Martyr could say, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us because we're a child of the king. People who live with hope will continually express wonder that God's love led to salvation. Can't believe it. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And don't we look forward to that? People, we, people who live with hope will be conformed to his image. We will be like him because we will see him as he is in the body that's broken, the chronic pain, the suffering, the curse of sin that I struggle with all my life and cry out, you know, God, help me to have victory. It'll be gone because I'll see Jesus and I'll be like him. Sinless, holy, pure, new body, 
No more pain. No more sin. No more craving for the flesh. And I will be conformed to his image. And in the meantime, in this life, people of hope will want to be conformed to his image and so will make it a focus of life. And here's, here's an example that Peter gives us. And again, in the context of suffering, isn't it interesting how much of Scripture is about suffering? This is Peter now, chapter 2, 1 Peter. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but in but entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The second person of the Trinity, the God-man, the man Christ Jesus entrusted himself to the Father for his care when they're slapping him around and spitting on him and testifying Christ. Who did that? And all the things that happened to him and the God, the very God who holds him in existence, they're slapping him in the face and he entrusts himself to the Father. To him who judges justly. And so for you and I, life just isn't fair. And the workplace isn't fair. And we are going to have to give an answer, all of us, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood, uh, in our families. When your company comes along and puts in place policies that say, if you don't endorse this gay wedding or this transgender event, on religious, for religious reasons, it is hate speech. You can't be promoted, you don't get raises, you may lose your job. How will we respond? Church in exile, we will be conformed to his image. When they abused the Christ, he didn't give an answer. He took the abuse. Because to this, we have been called. People of hope will be conformed to his image. Let's look at the last one here in verse 3. Everyone who has this hope in him, that is, that we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. People of hope want to live a holy life. Life is hard. The challenges that come, and often we blow it because I, you know, you can struggle with your temper and you can struggle with a lot of things and we just plain blow it. But I want to be a pure Christian. I want to be focused on Christ and I want to live in his holiness. And even Paul, everywhere Paul went, you know, he started a riot when you read Acts and it seemed like and he got beat everywhere he went. But even Paul, in the context of Philippians 3 there, where we just looked at verse 8 and 9, and he talked about the righteousness from Christ, a righteousness not my own, down in uh, verse 13 of that same passage, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. That is this righteousness. I'm not fully sanctified or purified yet. I have not fully made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. One thing I do, and this is Paul. 
right? He wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. He had visions of heaven beyond any of his peers. Incredible. And even he says, but I'm not there yet. But one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pursue Christ. People of hope will purify themselves. We're not talking about a human work, but we are talking about a bent of heart that's focused on, I want to be like Christ. He's pure. He's holy. He's my model. I'll stop making excuses for myself because we all can be prone to do that of why circumstances allow me to be ungodly in the moment. But I'll purify myself. I want to be like Christ. So there are five things here then. Let me rehearse them for us again. Living with hope. What are some characteristics or features of Christian hope? Number one, people of hope will abide. We will abide in Christ. Number two, we'll make righteousness a habit. We will make it our life's goal to live a life that reflects the righteousness that we've been given in Christ. Number three, we will continually express wonder that God's love led to salvation, that I cannot believe that he picked a wretch like me to be his son or daughter. Amazing. Number four, people of hope will be conformed to his image. Little Christ, Christian, Christ men, little Christ. That's what we want to be. People, if they say it in mockery, well, you're just a little Christ. Thank you. I want to be like Christ, conformed to his image. And then number five, we will purify ourselves that we can serve him and and be used by him. And ultimately, when we see him as he is, we'll be like him. And the rest of the sin that I struggle with will be gone forever. And it is a very short time. Some of you here are older than me. Some are not. 65, that's where I'm at. Didn't take very long. Feels like about a week ago, Friday, life started, you know, and here I am. It's not much longer, and we'll all be with him. In the big picture, life is short. We need to be people of hope, focused on the living God, putting aside my rights and making him first. So let's say, I've got three questions I want to ask us, ask us uh, some application here maybe help us think through this just a little bit. So number one, uh, we've been talking about hope, Christian hope. So there's a question because uh, it's kind of foundational to everything that I've said here. Do you know in a personal way the source of the hope that we've been talking about? Do you know this Christ? No Christ, no hope. It's just how it is. Do you know the source of our hope? John talks about this a little bit back in chapter 1, uh, verse 8 and 9 of First John. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and about the atonement for sins so that we can have hope in him as we've sung this morning. He's our living hope, but only if we know him. And so if there's someone here and you can't say that I know Christ, and we'd really love for you to know Christ. 
And we'd love the opportunity to share that with you and to help you to understand how you can know Christ and experience the hope that we have. So we'd love to share that with you. And myself, there are the pastors here, the deacons, there are probably others that you can find in this church that would love to help you understand and know our living hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him. No Christ, no hope. Number two, so what about you, the rest of us, believer? You groan for relief? Listen to the evening news, the chronic health issue you have, the errant child, the financial stress, other things. Is your confidence wavering? Or do you have an expectant hope? Not long. The Lord's coming. If he doesn't, I'm going to go see him. I'm going to be like him. That ought to motivate me. It ought to give me an expectant hope. Romans uh, chapter 8 there, verse 24 and 25. This is in the context of the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies, of salvation. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We just wait. Lord, give me grace for this hour sometimes. Sometimes for this minute. Lord, give me grace for another day. Even so, come Lord Jesus, we pray. Is your confidence waving or do you live in expectant hope? Because he's coming back. Just like he said, now... The dwelling of God is with men. You go a little farther in that same chapter in Revelation 21, and he says, it's done. I love those words. When God speaks, it's absolute, it's final, and it's done. That's what we look forward to. Number three, and I think this is kind of a cornerstone of how we can grow in our understanding and experience of gospel hope. Are you committed, Acts 2.42, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers? Are you committed to the apostles' teaching? I'm talking about the book, the Word of God, Old Testament, New Testament. One point, Jesus in his prayer there in John 17, I'm not praying for these alone, the 11 but I'm praying for those who will learn about me through their word, through their word. What's that? Well, that's the New Testament. They wrote it under inspiration. People of hope are committed to the apostles' teaching. Are you committed to the apostles' teaching, to the gospel, to the book, to the New Testament, to the Old Testament? Are you committed to be here, to hear the word preached, to hear it taught, to do Bible studies for one another and to be, be challenged and to sharpen each other because we want to live with hope to the last day and the only way we can do that is we need to know the Lord, the risen Christ. Are we committed to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship uh, of the saints? whether that's in worship like this morning, a good Baptist potluck that we all love, but other ways that we do fellowship. And sometimes it's an accountability group of two, three, four friends who are holding each other accountable and praying for each other, and that's the fellowship of the saints. Are you committed to that? Are you committed uh, to the breaking of bread and the prayers of crying out to God that he'd make himself known 
in a new and fresh way through your church and through your own life. People of hope are focused totally on the Lord Jesus Christ and everything else pales in comparison.